This is、uh, Dan Zhang with Subversity. Today we're going to be、uh, talking with、uh, an editor of a new,、uh, fairly new paper in the region,、um, and also talking with a communications professor from Cal State Fullerton. Hi, welcome to Subversity here on KCI eighty eight point nine FM in Irvine.、Uh, with us today on the show are two、um, experts who are going to be talking about、uh, journalism and reportage in Orange County.、Uh, welcome to the show,、uh, John Earl and、um, Jeff Brody. Thank you. Yeah. Ah,、uh, Jeff.、Uh, Jeff, you've been、uh, covering、uh, the scene for many years, and、uh, now as a、uh, As a report, as a professor, and、uh, earlier as a as a line reporter for the、uh, Orange County Register, or、oh, what changes have you seen over the years that are relevant to Orange County in terms of its reporting? Well, the biggest change has been the abandonment of Orange County by the Los Angeles Times. I mean, clearly in the '80s and up to the early '90s, the Times published an edition. In Orange County, and now the staff has been reduced to a bureau. And what that has done is, it's had a profound impact on news and competition between the Times and the Register. But the Times backed away, and as a result, you know the Register doesn't have to be as thorough or as aggressive or as timely. There's、uh, also the、yeah. uh, influence of the Net, which we can go into later. Right. Uh, how about John? How do you see the changes in the years you've、uh, since you worked as a reporter in Huntington Beach and then now as an editor in Huntington Beach? Well, when I was working for the Huntington Beach News, a small local paper in, in、uh, the late '80s, we had uh, the uh, Daily Pilot covering our area. The Daily Pilot at that time was, was actually independent. It had been with the Times, and it went reverted back to an independent ownership. We had the Huntington Beach Independent, which actually was independently owned and operated.、And、then we had the Register, and then we had the、uh, Huntington Beach News. <clears throat>、uh, Huntington Beach News is gone now. The、uh, Independent is owned by the LA Times, which is owned by the Tribune, Chicago Tribune, I, I guess still. And、uh, the Daily Pilot and、uh, Independent are, are, are all owned that, by that same company.、Uh, so we're really the only independent newspaper. Serving that area, we just started about nine months ago. And you're with、uh, Orange Coast Voice, and that's the Orange Coast Voice. Yes. As apart from this、uh, evisceration of the LA Times,、uh, do you think the quality of the news and the coverage has uh, has uh, suffered uh, tremendously?、Uh, is that because of no competition or what?、Uh, Are you asking me or yes?、Okay. Your other? <laughs>、uh, who, who wants to go first? Whatever. Well,、uh, I I can just say that when at that time at the well, I worked there briefly for two years at the Huntington Beach News, and it was later sold, and then it, it went into its own demise. But、uh, we had for a while there quite a bit of competition over Huntington Beach News. I think Huntington Beach at that time was covered better than it had ever been uh, 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 before, and、uh, better than it's been since. Except I, I hope now with our the coming of our newspaper there. But、uh, you had. A lot of competition to see,、uh, you know, to, to cover these、uh, issues, and we had, you know, redevelopment was going on in Huntington Beach at that time, so that was a very important issue.、Uh, it, it, the coverage now is mostly 
uh, in the in our I think in our competitors is is mostly superficial, uh, and that's what I've seen. I don't know, maybe your other guests can confirm that, but the, at the register, uh, especially, and the OC Post is the prime example of superficial coverage, I guess. You know, Dan, it's really true. When you had the when you yeah. had competition, it really kept the the reporters on their toes. I mean, I remember if you were like beaten by a story. There was, like, hell to pay, huh. <laughs> and that isn't going on right now because there's no worry about the L.A. Times in the offices of the Register, and vice versa. Do they worry about O.C. Weekly? O.C. Weekly, they do, but and they have some competition. I have an example of that. Um, a student of mine was doing a story on the um, sex slave. In, excuse me, not the sex slave, on slavery um, in Irvine. And she had worked on it, and she was going to sell the piece to the Weekly, and then the Register got wind of it, and the Register did the story first, so the Weekly couldn't run the story. So there is some competition with the Weekly, although the Weekly um, is geared towards a younger market and has more entertainment listings. And it, it takes a different angle in its stories, usually. It sure does. And the Weekly basically has like one or two major news stories. I don't know. I don't want to like, um, uh, so let's analyze the weekly. I mean, <laughs> basically, it's okay. when you look at the weekly, there's usually one major news story every week and then three or four ancillary news stories. So it isn't, you know, covering the county in depth, but what it does do is it does provide in-depth journalism on the subjects it decides to cover. What do you think, uh, John? Well, I think uh, that's that's true. Um, I don't know about the quality of that coverage always. I, I look at the OC Weekly as a mixed bag of some really wonderful journalism and some really, uh, frankly, hideous journalism. And uh, it, it's kind of a, a, a scandal sheet, uh, uh, you know, a, 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 almost a kind of a, a sex scandal sheet. And some of that journalism I found very questionable as somebody who's covered sexual politics before. But, but uh, and and I, I, it's not a a lot of people who like our paper compare it to the OC Weekly. But there's no really no comparison because we're a community newspaper trying to cover issues that are related to city council issues, local politics, and so on. Weekly does some of that sometimes, but uh, we're doing it. I think I think we're probably tr- the tr- only true. Uh, progressive newspaper that's covering local issues in this county, other than the Fullerton Observer, that is really uh, looking at this from a non-corporate, uh, looking at news from a non-corporate angle. And every other newspaper, uh, uh, certainly all of our competitors here, are coming at it from a corporate angle. And that, that dilutes the news tremendously, I think, whether it's from the Weekly or the Register or the Times. Well, even the weekly is, uh, I mean, it's owned by Village Voice Media. Right. And um, there's, they're still looking for a new uh, managing editor. This current issue has a little note in the letters section <laughs> saying, please apply. <laughs> <laughs> and the, uh, the previous uh, entourage uh, regime moved kind of fus- almost, almost full scale, but uh, half of it went to the street in a new paper that the publisher or the editor Oh, the district. Oh, oh the yeah. district. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> the street. I think the street is like yeah. Washington D.C. or something. But anyway, the uh, they moved to Long Beach. Uh, like a good half of the mm-hmm. of the editors 
uh, staff. Um, do you th uh, what do you think of the Ask the Mexican column, uh, um, Jeff? You know, I had lunch with the uh, editor of the Weekly about two weeks ago, and they've, they've hired some new staffing, and they're gearing up, and they've kept, you know, Scott Moxley, who's probably one of the better or investigative reporters in the county, not the best, and then they have, you know, Gustavo doing Ask a Mexican. The Ask a Mexican is their pro most popular um, read on their website, she told me, and it's been syndicated, and Gustavo has had a tremendous success with it, getting lots of national media attention. Interestingly enough, when I spoke to him, and he also spoke to one of my classes, um, the story that made uh, Gustavo, the story that really um, you know, brought him into the national limelight, was published in the Los Angeles Times when they did a feature about him in his Ask a Mexican column. And it's very interesting because the Los Angeles Times would write about Ask a Mexican but never run the column, Ask a Mexican. <laughs> and Gustavo, you know, appreciated the irony of it, but after that column was, that article about him was published in the Los Angeles Times, he went on to appear on the Colbert uh, Report and other shows like that. It's had uh, tremendous, tremendous success. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I remember him as an intern <laughs> starting off at the uh, at the weekly uh well, well, don't don't you think it's kind of sad though that that uh, uh, Orange County alternative journalism is is uh, symbolized by that kind of a column that really uh, um, and and I mean it's sad on so many levels it seems to me uh, not just journalistically but oh, yeah. what it says about the yeah. the, the readers yeah. I suppose as well okay. and as well as yeah. the Los Angeles Times yeah. that yeah. that this column this kind of quasi comedy. I, I say quasi-racist column, you know, police playing on racist racism, partly satirizing and partly indulging in it. That this passes as as journalism and and it becomes a journalist's claim to fame. We actually have uh, Will Swain, uh, the former editor of the OC Weekly, on the air. Uh, welcome, Will. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, did you hear that part of it? I only heard the last part of it. I'm not even sure who I was hearing. Uh, that was John Earl. Oh, uh, Jeff Brody was uh, praising. Um, Gustavo's uh, column as a Mexican, and um, John was taking the opposite view. Yeah, I, all I heard from John, I guess, then was that uh, this passes for journalism. Journalism is whatever, whatever we say it is. You know, I've read read far worse things than Ask a Mexican in newspapers that you know were the L.A. Times, the New York Times. So I don't know. Yeah, um, and I think that taking on issues of race and class with humor is actually an important contribution to a very balkanized working class, John. Well, I, I think. Uh, if you had somebody writing uh, with the depth of, say, uh, Gilbert and Gonzalez uh, here at UCI, or you know, looking into class and race issues in that way, that would be real journalism. But I think you, I think you have. Uh, well, I don't agree with you on that because uh, my experience is different. But uh, I think uh, you, you know, Ask a Mexican is is a comedy column that that plays on, which is fine if you want a comedy column, but it's, I, I wouldn't call it journalism. And, and it kind of indulges, as well as satirizes. What's, what's journalism, John? Pardon me? What's journalism? I think journalism is reporting on issues that are of concern to the people in the community and that help, and help, that? And help contribute to the community in such a way that allows people to perhaps improve uh, life in the community. And how does Ask a Mexican not, not fulfill that function? Well, how does it? 
Well, you're the one who says it's not journalism. You're the one who just defined it. You tell well, me. Well, you, you've defined journalism as anything you want to define as journalism. Okay, so it's... So, uh, let's, let's try to get a, a better... Let's try to get a, a meaningful uh, definition of journalism here. You want my answer? Yeah. Okay, it handles issues of race and class with great humility, great humor, sometimes great pomposity. Um, in a society in which race and class have become hand grenades, and he handles them with, I think, deafness and real character. Um, I think that's a magic act that borders on something close to spirituality. Never mind mere journalism. <laughs> well, I think that's great spin. That's equal to something Bill O'Reilly might say for, oh, for saying that he's fair and balanced. You know, I think that's wonderful. <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. I don't know if anyone's going to agree with you, but, you know. You know, I think also you're forgetting that in the column, Gustavo does research, and he actually relies on, you know, published studies by academics, and he puts in that information, you know, so that readers can see that, you know, his sources are cited. Most of it's not not that. It's it's mostly just comedy. It's mostly no, uh, it's it's, it's, there's not no that, that's not. It and I've spoken to Gustavo, and he answers the questions by literally doing you know research. He has uh, I think a master's from UCLA in uh, Chicano studies. Well, I haven't seen the footnotes in his in his writing ever on on, on these things. Sometimes perhaps he doesn't, he doesn't use footnotes. He includes his citations right in the document. Well, not that's not always true. I'm, I'm sure that is true sometimes. I, I've seen that sometimes, but a lot of times that isn't true. It's just his, it's just his opinion of the, of the, you know, what the. True, jeez, John. I mean, is that the only time this is journalism? Is when you have an academic citation now? <laughs> well, no, but don't you want journalism to reflect reality and rather than just, uh, you know, uh, uh, off the off the cuff? Well, well, you want my answer? Don't you want journalism to reflect some kind of solid research and, and hopefully get as close to reality as possible and, and some responsible? Well, then I, I don't see that reflected. I'm just saying I don't see that reflected in, in uh, Ask a Mexican. Well, we better move on since Gustavo's not on <laughs> a guest here. But I do want to ask, uh, Will, if, if his column is so great, do you run it in your paper now, uh, the district? No, we don't, uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, Gustavo's uh, new employers at the uh, New Times wouldn't want it there. Um, we, uh, they see us at, at the, uh, the company formerly called New Times, and John will appreciate this, I think. The company that was called New Times is now called Village Voice. Uh, <laughs> we love the corporate mergers. They, um, they will not let him run that column in our paper. Oh. That's the most important reason. The other reason is, man, I got like 20 pages of edit, and I'm trying to write everything I can that is unique to you know, Long Beach, I mean, with the exception of this last week's story on, on Hamlet, which, you know, hey, that's the human condition. <laughs> That's going pretty deep. Right. The uh, I was uh, wondering when you moved most of OC Weekly or half of OC Weekly to the district. Does does that uh, w- were there anybody there from Long Beach? Everybody at the district. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody at, at uh, well, I mean, within reason. Let me see. There's Ellen Greiley, Chris Sigler, Theo Douglas, all from Long Beach. Dave Willinga and Steve Lowry worked at the Press Telegram. Steve lives in the South Bay, and Dave lives in Bellflower. I'm the only non-Long Beach person. So is there any, uh, is, how's, what's different between Long Beach and Orange County? Uh, There's a whole lot that's different. Definitely, um, yeah. I mean, one of the reasons that we're there in Long Beach, and John probably knows this pretty well, is that a lot of people who work in Orange County can't afford to live there. And a huge number of my staff, including all the aforementioned, moved to Long Beach at some point in their careers at OC Weekly because however well we were paying them by national standards and <laughs> county standards, it wasn't enough. Right, right. They all went up to Long Beach. So in a sense, the district was really just about you know, 
following the District Weekly was about following this part of the staff up to Long Beach. We'd sit around editorial meetings at OC Weekly, and people would say, I've got this story from Long Beach, I've got this art gallery in Long Beach, this restaurant or band or whatever. Young people from all over Southern California are moving to Long Beach. Yeah. And so the paper really just sort of reflects what's going on there for them. And at one point, OC Weekly did cover a lot, some of Long Beach stuff. Yes, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 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 Will, how, why, why did you leave then? Why did you leave the Weekly? Well, um, I hate to recap a story that's pretty boring and old at this point, but I was at the Weekly when we founded it, and we made a lot of money, and we did a lot of great journalism. However John defines it, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> and then... And then it wasn't fun anymore when uh, we were sold to the New Times. Uh, my job went from editing and publishing a paper that was making a lot of money and doing a lot of, I think, doing a great service for the community, to uh, to reporting almost every day. And I'm not an Excel spreadsheet kind of guy, and that's what they were looking for. And I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. I found myself getting old and depressed. And one morning, <laughs> my daughter woke me up and asked me what drugs I was taking, and I assured <laughs> her they were legitimate drugs prescribed by a doctor, and that didn't really seem to, to impress her at all. Oh, my God. And I realized, uh, you know what, uh, antidepressants, uh, that's not who I am, so I quit. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have a job, so I had to make up a newspaper to have one. <laughs> that's what John did. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good move, John. <laughs> Thank you. But uh, in terms of making money, was it from the sex ads or what? <laughs> I'm sorry, Dusty Weekly? Yeah, no. <laughs> no, the sex ads are really pretty, uh, I know you're joking. <laughs> Sorry, I'm making my daughter's lunch. Pardon me. Um, <laughs> the sex ads are really pretty modest uh, in terms of our income. I would mm. say somewhere between seven and ten percent max per week. Mm. And I would argue, and you know, intelligent minds can disagree on this, but as a free speech issue, I had no problem with them. Um, as an advertising issue, I had a problem with them. They drove away advertisers. Mm. Uh, they drove away distributors. They drove away readers. Um, you know, I can, I'll give you an example. Larry Agron. You know, Larry was my friend. Uh, he was. A very, very close family friend. I worked for him for years. Yeah. And the moment that this paper started to go after Larry, Larry turned from saying the OC Weekly was the most important, you know, journalism <laughs> institution in the modern world since the Gutenberg Press to saying we were nothing but pornographers. And it was a real common trajectory of criticism for people who hated the Weekly. I just look at the sex ads. And, and that was the kind of thing that was a distortion, obviously, but it was also a, a convenient and, and, I think, effective sometimes distraction. So... I had no interest in running the ads. Um, they weren't for me. My mother would call me every week to let me know that they were horrible, and then she would read them to me. Um, <laughs> which reminded me of she young Goodman Brown and Daniel Hawthorne. Uh, but, but, um, but the, so the money came from regular ads? Yeah, the money, other, when you set aside that 7 to 10%, you know, maybe some weeks a little more, a little less, uh, it was mostly local retail. That accounted for about two-thirds of our ads. And then a third of the advertising revenue came from national and from L.A. sales. So the L.A. The LA Weekly would sell the Wiltern Theater or um, the, the, um, the Greek Theater. And um, then the national advertising community would sell Altoids or Budweiser, uh, Puma, Nordstrom, or Starbucks. That's how it worked. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, Jeff, uh, do you have any comment on the... Uh, on this whole th- kind of alternative press scene uh, in in Orange County? I think it's healthy. I'm really all for it. Well, I used to get a kick out of the sex ads because there was always an issue of uh, advertising truth. Because I know that you're yes. using a lot of clip art on those. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, Jeff raises another really great point. Um, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. That is, I think, a really legitimate criticism of these ads, something that I didn't know until about my ninth or tenth year. When some guy called up and said he expected Holly and got some, you know, battleship-sized human being on his doorstep, 
holding a mag light flashlight, you know. And um, so it sort of became clear that maybe there was some truth in advertising questions, as Jeff says. So it was centralized. Was it, were the were the personal ads centralized from LA or from the adult uh, ads? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, oh. those were sold out of LA. Oh. And uh, and the, the the women featured in the ads are not real women, I understand, uh, or at least not in all cases or many cases. Actually, I think there are uh, young women who um, sell their images to agencies, right. and the agency and they sign releases, and the agencies can do whatever they want. So suddenly, these women turn into Holly. Jeff, I'm impressed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jeff's done some research. <laughs> yeah. It was pure, pure research of the sort that, Je that uh, John has said is uh, true journalism. Um, Footnoted. Well, research is part of journalism. I hope you agree with that. Pardon? I hope you agree that research is part of journalism. No, I think we should make everything up. Well, uh, some people think you do. <laughs> I just, you know, just on the advertising issue, you know, uh, just to point out how uh, one of the big differences between our community alternative paper and, and the weekly, and all, I don't have anything against that kind of advertising. That's fine, but uh, we couldn't do it in our paper I, I, because we deliver our paper, uh, most of the 15,000 copies to homes, you know, right on the driveway when having, we'd be, we wouldn't, we'd be kicked out of there and <laughs> lynched or whatever in no time. Uh, but it's also a matter of style and and what and the image that you want to project as to as to what kind of again journalism as you define it that you want to uh, project or or uh, 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 allow your readers to think that you're you're putting out. So um, we're we're coming. A lot of people call our paper an alternative paper, and it is. But there there's maybe there's some overlapping with a paper like the weekly, but there's some substantial differences in in terms of advertising as well as news. I think the alternative weeklies uh, aim for an 18 to 35 audience. What, what audience is your paper? Mo most of these would be uh, homeowners, middle-aged homeowners, I think. You know, but they, a lot of them have children and all that, too. But uh, so, um, but uh, best I can tell so far, it's, it's you know, people uh, 35, 45, 50, maybe it's around a different there. different set yeah. of consumers. Yes, it is, yeah. And he just, uh, John just hired a marketing director. Well, we got our first uh, professional sales display advertising person who knows what he's doing. So that's uh, up till now we've been doing it uh, on the fly ourselves. Uh, so thank you. <laughs> so um, in terms of news coverage, you know, I know uh, there are some investigative reporters left. Uh, I'm not sure I would agree with uh, Jeff's characterization of who's uh, who's at the weekly, but I know Nick Scow is uh, is a good reporter. Um, how come he didn't go to Long Beach? I think uh, everybody had their own personal motivations. Uh, in in uh, Nick's case, you know, I mean, first of all, if the New Times does anything well, the guys who took over the, the BLC Weekly, if they do anything well, they they like the sort of investigative journalism that we cultivated at the Weekly. It's pretty unusual for an alt weekly the size of OC Weekly to have three investigative reporters. And the Weekly does: Gustavo and Nick and Scott Moxley. Um, those three people decided for their own reasons to stay. Um, also, partly was economics on my side. Who could I afford and how oh, long yeah. could I afford them? Uh, we were a startup paper, started out of our own cash and out of the cash of a few friends of ours. And um, that makes it sort of a challenge. I would have loved to have taken everybody. And there were a few hands grasping at the gunnels of our little dinghy uh, <laughs> at the end there. And I just couldn't afford to take them on. And that's, that's sort of heartbreaking. Do you think that uh, investigative journalism is, has ended at the LA Times because... Uh, I know there was a guy, uh, Mark Arax, who used to cover the prison industry and do a lot of kind of investigative reporting about that, and he seems not to be given that beat anymore. I, if 
you're asking me, I don't think so. Um, yeah. Jeff and John probably watch more closely, but I know for a, a fact that Bill Lobdell, I, I worried a bit, uh, Bill Lobdell, who was the religion writer for a long time, was actually one of the best investigative reporters in Orange County. And he was taken off the uh, religion beat, I think at his own request, and bumped upstairs to city manager. And there he's doing his best, I think it looks like to me anyway, to cultivate investigative reporters. And you know, when you've got a city manager, a city editor who's um, the um, an investigative reporter himself, I think that's going to imply a certain uh, sensitivity to investigative reporting. I think they'll see a lot more there, in fact. And uh, what um, are they just focusing on the sex scandal in the Catholic Church? Uh, is that... Stuff beyond that? Oh, much beyond that, yeah. Bill uh, looked at Trinity Broadcast. Um, gosh, I blank on so many of these guys, but think of any televangelist or major evangelical Christian church in South Orange County, and uh, I don't know about you guys, but my spidey senses start to tingle. And I'm, you know, he's, Bill went after those guys. Jeff might even remember a few of them. Um, yeah, I think John and I actually went to the Trinity, and we took a picture of the bathroom, the picture, uh, oh, yeah, and I told the... You can see the guy in the next stall. Yeah, and the gla- there was glass on the ceiling, so you could see who, who, who was doing what. And then true religion, right? And then <laughs> the minister Crouch, I guess, was uh, accused of some kind of shenanigans later. Yeah. But by the time I told the weekly, I think weekly sent a crew there, and there was no more glass on the ceiling. <laughs> Mirrors, they were actually uh, mirror, mirror on the glass on the ceiling. But uh, anyway, hey, can I get back to yeah, a point? Think, you know, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead. Dan, I I don't think the question is. About the worry is about investigative reporting. The worry is about the web and who's and how they can afford to have investigative reporting, and how all the papers are transitioning to an electronic platform. And that's the uh, blog, right? Everybody's what we're looking at in the future. Everybody seems to have a blogs, and there's all these blogs that cover Orange County politics, for instance. Well, I think I think just right. The, the blogs are, however problematic themselves, I mean, just from an economic standpoint, because they don't generate the kind of traffic that's going to generate the kind of advertising that you really need to make a go of it and to hire really good investigative reporters. You know, when we would put a guy like Nick or Gustavo or Scott on some really intense story, that might mean they did nothing else for four weeks or six weeks, but that story, and that's a huge investment in time. When you think about salary and pay, you know, uh, benefits and everything else, it's a lot of money for a small paper. And... uh, so Jeff's right. The question is, you know, where are the, who's going to be able to monetize the web and to make this thing a go? It's a struggle. And then you go out there for investment capital, I can tell you, having just done this. And you ask people to invest, and every single one of them is waiting for you to say synergy and the web and electronic world and virtual reality. And then they all start to wet their pants and say, okay, I'm in. <laughs> but when you talk about print, they look at you like you're talking about a hoe or a, pick, a pitchfork. Um, it just doesn't strike any investor in Orange County uh, that, that print is the way to go for the future. Yeah, to be honest with you, I, we had a grant. We were at well, finals, and we didn't get it, that we were going to do a test partnership with the Orange County Register in which we would deliver news via a Sony Reader-type device. The Sony Reader is, um, it doesn't have to be the Sony Reader. Apple and Sony are developing, developing what's called like virtual paper, and it will be like a device that is um, about the size of a eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper where you could actually do a PDF file of a news page and it would be thumb driven that you know with your thumb you would turn the pages so you could actually see ads on the next page and we thought that was a way to um, draw you know readers to the newspaper electronically but also draw readers as consumers to advertisers because there's a great reluctance 
among people to accept advertising on the web, and we know that advertising is what pays for news. And we were looking at this as a, as a way to um, capture um, readers within the county. We didn't get the grant. We're going to try again. But I, I still believe that, you know, one of the biggest problems with the web is that newspapers are giving away their content for free. Well, the New York Times does have that electronic edition you can actually sign up for if you... I suppose you could pay for it, too, but you could sign up for if you buy the paper <laughs> also, I think. Uh, but I don't know if... I mean, people can... Yeah, you're right. You, I could go on and look at the New York Times for free anyway, so why would I pay for electronic... You can look at the New York Times for free. You can look at LA Times the current for free. Editions. You, can look, at, yeah. you can look at the OC Weekly for free. And uh, when you look at these things for free, um, that doesn't support good journalism. Hmm. I mean, OC Voice is free. Um, yeah, that means there's no free in all respects. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't get pay yourself. <laughs> yeah, everything's free. Labor's free. Everything's free. Um, I, I I wanted to get back to a point uh, that uh, Will was touching on a little bit earlier. I think we were debating a little bit about you know, you you asked me how many how many people would read an article, for example by Gilbert Gonzalez, you know, they have the depth and, and so on that I w was alluding to. Um, you know, I, I think I don't think it's true that readers, and I found this at the local level, even when I worked for the Huntington Beach News just for a couple of years, uh, many years ago, and, and, and now with the OC Voice, uh, what I found at the local level anyways is that people want to know in depth about their local news. And we've gotten a tremendous response from this paper, the Orange Coast Voice, because that's exactly what we're doing. We're covering these local issues in depth and, and at a progressive angle, too, that other papers are not doing. And, and every single issue, we've got issues that they don't cover, the other competition don't cover, and even the issues that they do cover, we cover it in a more thorough way. And that's what people like about the paper. That's why people are calling us up almost, uh, I'd say, several times a week and saying how, they, how much they love the paper. Some are calling up and saying, don't ever drop it on my doorstep again, too. But... But I, I don't think it's true that people want to uh, just have superficial uh, junk like you find on the television news so much. I think they want substance too. Now that may be maybe that differs with age groups, but uh, I find that there's always a great reception for uh, in-depth uh, coverage of local news. And uh, I don't know uh, if, if the two of you. Uh, disagree with that or not, but uh, that's an issue to bring up, I think. No, John, actually you hit on a really good point, because that's what, you know, you can't, you know, find on, on the web, you know, when you're looking at all these national papers, you know, the LA Times, New York Times, it's the strength of local news. I live in Laguna Beach, and I'm impressed that we have three local weeklies, mm -hmm. um, one independent, one owned by the Register Corporation, and one owned by the Times Corporation, and you get to see a lot of in-depth news, and you get to see different perspectives on perspectives on the news by reading those three weeklies and your weekly does provide an alternative and it provides in depth and that, that that is really good and that's what you know you'll have no competition from television or uh, even radio from that and you won't have any competition from the national papers so maybe like local news is the way to go you know in terms of you know a, a product that's you know produced on newsprint i think that's the same with will he says that there's you know, no market there. Um, there's no competition in his market for uh, you know on a local with another alternative local paper. Mm -hmm. And and isn't it true too? Uh, my understanding is that 
where journalism uh, where news, the newspaper business is really flourishing really is more at the local level with uh, small community that's papers. That's exactly right. That's what I was going to say. Um, people have asked me now in I don't know how many forums. I don't know what the plural of forums is. Fora. Fora? Fora. Yeah, thank you. Um, in all these fora, I've had people ask me, like, why would you start a paper now? And investors ask the same question. And the answer is that the web is great for globalizing and mainstreaming and reaching mass audiences, and it's terrific for reaching one or two people. It's not great so far at the local level. And I think part of the problem of the, lo- of the local market, if you will, of the local community is the sense of placelessness that so many people have, whether it's Laguna Beach or Huntington Beach. You live in a place, but you sometimes get this feeling based on the fact that our TV and radio come from L.A. and that our major newspapers come from either the Register, which is you know largely syndicated now, or from L.A. You get a sense that you don't live in a place, that you live in a, a shadow of Los Angeles. And so a paper, I think, can do two things. It can, A with an economy of scale can reach that community and B, can give the people in that community a sense of place. I think, you know, John, you probably hit on that for Huntington. Um, And Jeff, certainly Laguna has an abundance of riches when it comes to local media. That's partly because of its zip code, I would argue, that it's a really, you know, it's a really good, in the sense of uh, wealthy uh, demographic for advertisers to reach. But when you go out and you talk to new media investors, all they want to hear is, What's the, what's the new media component? And they don't really understand yet that the credibility of print is still out there and that that's what a paper delivers, that sense of concreteness and reality and place that the web just doesn't yet. Well, we, we'd like to think of ourselves as the anti-corporate paper here. We're, we're, we're about as grassroots as you can get. The people who work for our paper get paid little or nothing, and they do it because they, they love, they love the, 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 the profession and, and, the, and what it, it means for the community. And uh, that's where I get back to the definition of journalism as a as a uh, as a form of uh, participatory democracy is really what it is. Inform participatory democracy. I think we need more of that and less of the you know the the TNA kind of stuff. Although that I have nothing against that as far as if that's what your thing is. But uh, I just think we need. There's a place for all of that, I suppose. But we need, uh, I think, some you know serious local journalism or at any level actually yeah i don't understand john there is there is and always has been a sense on your part that the weekly somehow is dangerous or bad and no 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 i didn't I, say dangerous well you have maybe though now that you bring it up i've all right thank you <laughs> and that could be good though that could be good the, and bad and i i helped start the paper and before that paper got here this place was a very very different place and the weekly wasn't the only contributing factor to its transformation right but uh it was significant we broke a lot of stories. You know, the Register yep. was here for almost 100 years, and the L.A. Times for about 50, and Bob Dornan was king until Scott Moxley took the guy's pants off in public. <laughs> so, and I could go on. You know? Well, I, I think, as I said earlier before, and I think you weren't on yet, I said I saw the weekly as a combination of, uh, at times, wonderful journalism, and other times, frankly, hideous journalism. It's just a combination of things. And, and uh Maybe it's your. It was your goal as publisher to and editor to give, you know, uh, different styles and different approaches uh, well, uh, and airing. But but uh, and, and that's not necessarily bad. But you know, I'm just saying that's that was my criticism. I and mean, I think that that there's a lot of sensationalism that overshadows uh, the or kind of pushes quality aside sometimes. Well, it was interesting to me though that in your first issue, I would say a good third to half of the stories were stories we had already covered at the weekly, so we couldn't be all bad. Um, that's number one. Number two. Well, we've covered every every story we've covered. We've covered differently than you have. Some stories, uh, some stories. There, there's going to be some overlapping because, 
nobody uh, will owns the news. You know. I didn't say we own it, John. I just said. Well, we're you're talking as if you you know you may you invented news in Orange County here and well, until you came along, there wasn't any. You know. I'm sorry. No, go. He had a scoop. You know. Well, so, great. That's fine. That's wonderful. More power so the, to you. So the other interesting thing here, John, is that I don't think uh, people want a drumbeat. I remember there was, I can't remember who he was, the editor, John, uh, Jeff Maynard, the editor of the uh, Atlanta Constitution Journal back in the 60s, used to say, people asked him all the time, how could you get away with being a desegregation editorial writer and a guy who sent your writers out to report on the civil rights movement in a really fair and unbiased way. How could you do that in the Deep South in the 1950s and 60s? He said, well, you know, on Monday you write about hunting, and on Tuesday you write about civil rights, and on Wednesday you write about grilling hamburgers and steaks. And I just thought, you know, that's the fullness of our humanity, as we like to say in the Catholic liturgy, Mm -hmm. that we're funny sometimes. Sometimes we're goofy, and sometimes we're sexy, and sometimes we're into the blues, and sometimes we're into the clash, and sometimes we're into hardcore politics, and sometimes we want to have fun. Yeah, but when that style gets in the way of the facts, that's what I'm arguing here. That's the real problem. Well, John, if you could ever point out for me when it got in the way of the facts. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. I can. Do you want me to right now? Absolutely. Go ahead. Okay. First, let me point out, because I said there there was a contrast at the weekly of wonderful journalism, and then... Terrible journals. Let's, let's take the wonderful first, and then I'll contrast it with a, 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 an example. You had a, a, I guess this was in the, was within the last three years, you had a, a piece on uh, Dr. Elizabeth Loftus here at UCI. Uh, the first piece was uh, a, a very accurate, well-researched piece. Then the next piece you had uh, that came, followed that, I don't remember exactly how long afterwards, by uh, Gustavo Ariano was basically a smear and, and a hit piece on her. Now, there's, there's, there's a, an example of a huge contrast that, that exists at the Weekly. I think all it said in the second piece, John, was it, it came from something called public records. I'll introduce you to him sometime. Well, uh, no, no. What, it's, what it was, was it, it was a, a based on prosecutorial handouts. That's what it was. No. And a no, misunderstanding actually. of the issue of false memory syndrome and repressed yeah. memories. It was, yeah. it, was a, it was somebody who hadn't done his research, unlike no. the previous reporter who knew what he was talking about. So, see, already, John, we're into a very full and, and really interesting discussion about recovered memory and prosecutorial handouts. Well, you asked for an example. Story so. actually, I would argue the story actually accomplished its goal. Yeah, well, whatever his goal was, I think the goal was that somebody who wrote it had an axe to grind, and that was the well, goal. Well, and that I'm probably Gustavo's was achieved. Editor, since I'm Gustavo's editor, I can tell you, you're wrong. You well, have no facts to back uh, up your well, yes, actually, I covered that issue for many years, Will, and that's why I knew and, uh, that Gustavo didn't know what he was talking about, and he admitted to me that he didn't even try to get, to, he didn't even call up Dr. Elizabeth Loftus to get her side of the story, for one actually, thing. He can I go, he, I have that in the email that still, that's what he said. I don't know how I could have admitted it, because I was there when he called her. No, 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 that's, <laughs> then, then he was lying to me because he said he didn't bother to call, because he didn't call well, John, these pro-child molester types, that was his view. Interesting, but it sounds like you have a personal axe to grind. No, 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 I, yeah, you asked me. We're always bringing up examples with Gustavo, I think we should have a show with you and Gustavo. That sounds like a better idea, yeah. Since well, that's fine, anytime, bring it on. <laughs> because, because I, I think that, you know, as someone who covered, I covered that issue, you know, sexual politics for quite a, while, a long time. So I, I knew that issue. Now, there's some other minor, uh, more minor examples with Gustavo, uh, too, but uh, that was, uh, that hit hard because you're talking about people's lives there. You're talking about 
you know, uh, it makes me wonder, what about, and I don't know, but what about those other stories he did on the Catholic Church? I, they may have all been true, but I, I have to wonder, based on that one article where the, the facts were so badly uh, misreported, that uh, well, John, you I don't know. Well, John, you pointed out any facts are misreported. You said he didn't call Elizabeth Loftus. No, his facts were wrong, too. He, 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 he misstated what uh, re- repressed memory was supposed to be in the article. No, no, no. He he mis he misdefined it in there, and he and he misreported he inaccurately report, reported uh, Miss Loftus' testimony at, at that uh, trial that he was quoting in the in the article. You got it from a document, John. Are you saying the document was wrong? No, I'm saying that he uh, he didn't report all the facts. Will that's what John, I'm saying. John, did you? No one. Uh, John, you know? Do you have you ever researched that issue, Will? Hang on, John. Check with any sociologist. You cannot report all the facts. It is impossible. But you can report the most pertinent ones to an article. You can report the most pertinent ones. He left out the most pertinent ones. Now, John, you're suddenly into the area of subjectivity. No, this was, this was, no, I'm I'm going into the area of reporting facts, Will. And you, one of the biggest criticisms that I receive when people come up and they like our paper and they mistakenly, you know, compare, put in the same genre as yours, but they say, you know, the weekly has deteriorated. It's it's not honest journalism, and they're 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 referring to I think uh, particular journalists. They're mostly uh, probably Gustavo, who is who has become your star because of Ask a Mexican. But uh, I, I think that we're talking about basic fundamental facts here, and the right of people who are being reported about to be re- to be reported about accurately, especially when their lives are on the line, when they've been accused of a heinous crime. Uh, she wasn't accused of a heinous crime. No, but she was. She was pictured by Gustavo as a pro-child abuse, child molester expert for hire witness. That's what she was pictured as, and and that uh, that reflects on his ability to report accurately on a trial. John, a trial. John, is, John, you know, maybe it's the, how you how you frame the issue that you would have framed the issue different from the way Gustavo framed it. And also, I can say from someone who was a journalist and now I'm in academia that readers don't read papers the way journalists read papers. I uh, got my God, when I was in the industry, we'd read, you know, the weekly or we'd read the Times and we'd say, oh, we beat him, we got such a great quote, this was fantastic, or we framed it this way and we were so happy, or we'd look at someone else's writing and we'd say, wow, what a fantastic job. Man, when you get the paper now, if you're outside of this, you know, incestuous community where you know everyone by byline, you, sometimes you don't even read the bylines. You you just gloss <laughs> over them and you read the story and you get what you get right. what you can out of the story. Well, I agree, but I'm just saying. You know, you're the, talking a lot of insider. No, no, no. The, the Gustavo. No, the Gustavo story. And here's 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 my main criticism of the weekly. The Gustavo story was a throwback to the McMartin journalism of the uh, 80s, the early 80s, late 80s, and early 90s that we saw at the Los Angeles Times, that we saw at KABC Eyewitness News. These, uh, these, this kind of sensationalistic, uh, slanted, inaccurate, dishonest journalism. It was a throwback to that, that particular article. And, and I covered that uh, quite extensively and researched that quite extensively for many years. So, so that's why it particularly hit my, uh, hit my uh, uh, button there. But uh, so, so, Will, you just haven't done your facts. Uh, no, John, <laughs> grow the heck up, seriously. I mean... Grow the heck up? You, you grow up. Have some accurate journalism. That's, that's, <laughs> what do you mean, grow up? John, one, Replace but, TNA journalism with real, honest reporting. That's John, what you've got to do. issue of the weekly with any issue of your paper that you'd like. 
Uh, we were just named. My last year, the weekly was just named by the Missouri School of Journalism. Jeff may know this is the second best school and its um, second best newspaper in its circulation category. That was my last year there. Um, that's not bad. Second best in the entire um, country. Well, I don't know what their standards are, Will. It depends. You know, people give out awards all over the place, oh, and some of those are, are worth something, some of them aren't, you know. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you can give yourself awards all you want or have your your your, your fellow, your fellow uh, you know, buddies in the media do that or, or whatever. Or, uh, you know. I think his buddy is the journal. <laughs> well, we're talking about mainstream corporate journalism giving itself awards. That's in a general sense. I, I think that's true. That. Maybe we can move on uh, to this topic. Uh, I wanted to ask how you thought the uh, OC Weekly covered ethnic uh, politics, uh, ethnic issues. Uh, Will? Oh, I'm sorry. Let's just why don't we just cut straight to John and he'll tell us. Well, go ahead, Will. He asked you, so you can you can answer. Uh, I think we did actually quite well. Um, we had Gustavo, of course, and uh, Nick spoke Spanish. Nick lived for a year in Guatemala, and that gave us a, an end to the community. And um, then uh, Scott Moxley was, I think, fairly well integrated, reasonably well integrated in the Vietnamese community. But, you know, it's tough. Like I said, we were a very small paper, and there was uh, some skepticism about having as many news reporters as I did. Most papers our size had one. We had three. And we did the best we could. Should we have done better? All the time. I mean, my God, the world is an amazing and diverse place. Uh, so I would have loved to have done better. But I thought we did pretty cool. I thought we did really well. Who's that? Oh, I, you know, I, I thought the, uh, you know, I thought Gustavo, not Gustavo, Scott seems to now take the side of prosecutors more, following up on one right. point. Yeah, you, you're right. You think, yeah, because when I was covering gang issues, I was trying to take the side of the people accused of being gang members who were not, or, or trying to look at the voices of people in the, in the Little Saigon community, but it seems like more, more and more, uh, Scott seems to be, uh, what, um, what John was saying, taking prosecutor handouts. Yeah, I, uh, I, I hope you'll hear my answer real clearly when I say, I have nothing to say to that. Well, that's good. You sure? Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I, I, I read uh, his... Scott's a friend of mine. Yeah. And uh, I worked with him for 12 years. And, um, and I have nothing more to say to that. That's a hard... That's a hard I, I think you read it aright. Well, I, I think that's a very uh, honest uh, uh, opinion there, and I, I commend you for being able to, to give that criticism to someone you know so yeah, well. But, you know, Dan, I, want, I, want, I just want to say something. Like you said, Scott seems to take the side of prosecutors, and I took the side of gang members. And actually, in reporting, I don't know if you want to take the side of either. You want to make an independent determination on your own and then tell the story like it is. I think that's right, Jeff. I, maybe, maybe, maybe Dan could have said it this way, that if you approach the prosecutors with more skepticism... Right, yeah, the gang I meant skepticism. ...a better story, mm -hmm. because the prosecutors have all the power. Right. And, um, and, and I think that's all you're saying, Jeff, is that you have to approach yeah. both sides with some skepticism. But I do and believe in that... with an independent yeah. judgment on your own. Absolutely. But also believe in advocacy journalism. Although I, I don't think I was doing that at the weekly. But uh, but I mean I I do agree that you know we we should cover things that are not covered, and that includes you know the voices of people that are not given voice. Yeah, and I mean so. uh, for an alternative weekly, for example, Jeff. I mean just let's let me think about this out loud. Mm -hmm. My sense is 
if a prosecutor turns out to be correct in his assessment that uh, defendant A really was a gangbanger and should go to jail, that's not really news. I, I expect that that's what the prosecutor is going to do. He's going mm -hmm. to find gangbangers. And at a daily paper, that might actually be a news story. At Alt-Weekly, probably not, mm -hmm. because the daily is supposed to be the paper of record. But if, in fact, Prosecutor A's assertion, I'm sorry, Prosecutor's assertion that, that uh, Defendant A is a gangbanger turns out not to be true upon closer investigation, that seems a story. Because, again, all the powers on one side in that relationship and our responsibility, I think, ought to be as an alt-weekly and perhaps even as a daily to investigate that power relationship. Unless it happens to be a really interesting story that you want to explore yes. for other sociological reasons. Absolutely. And maybe yeah. Scott was doing some of that with uh, using the prosecutor, you know, as a vehicle to get the information out. Yes. No, I, 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 and I, I, you have to look yeah, at it absolutely. on a case-by-case -case basis, but that sometimes happens. I mean, sometimes you can get, you know, decent stuff from law enforcement. Yep. How did, how did Scott become the gatekeeper for stories about Little Saigon? Because that's what I was told um, by somebody at the Weekly. I would say he was a gatekeeper, because um, Nick wrote about Little Saigon and so did mm. Gustavo. Um, but I was told that by a managing editor there. <laughs> Matt Cooker? Yep. Well... I don't know, you have to ask Matt. Um, there's no such thing as a gatekeeper of anything, and if he acted as one informally, it was uh, not my, with my knowledge because lots of other people wrote about Little Saigon. Well, we had a dispute, I think, over the coverage of... I wrote a piece trashing this uh, PBS documentary on Little Saigon and Saigon USA, and then a few weeks later, uh, Scott wrote a laudatory piece and the weekly sponsored a showing of it oh, at right, the Edwards, right. right? So, I mean, I think it's okay to have dissenting voices, like the Village Voice does, you know, yeah. does that too, right? If yeah, columnists well, write I'm different sorry things. sorry that yours didn't get in, because I, we did that frequently, where we would have one music critic go out and say somebody was great, somebody was right. bad, and, and I wish John had written his, uh, with, with uh, I wish he'd written a few letters, or has even called me once to say, hey, You well, publish, you well, publish I, his letters. I, you actually published a couple of my letters, uh, Will. No, I know, but I wish you had written more often. It sounds like you really were on to something with Gustavo, and I would have benefited from that exchange, you know, perhaps 18 months or two years ago. Now it's a little late. It doesn't work for me anymore. Well, I, I, I think that um, there, there are a couple of reasons why I didn't want to get into that too much at the time, because I was trying to do something else besides have a, you know, a, a, a something match with a local paper. But uh, since you and I have already had ours before, and I thought I had enough of that. But... Uh, I, I, you said something about the, we were talking about the uh, coverage of uh, prosecutors and or, you know, these criminal trials and what have you, and uh, I, I just want to say, I think one of the things in, in talking about Moxley's coverage of the of these trials where these admittedly heinous, horrible crimes were committed, and he's talking, I think, bringing up the hypocrisy of, of uh, uh, you know, children of law enforcement officials and, and the way that certain favors were trying to be applied to law enforcement officials and so on. But at the same time, uh, and that's all valid, but at the same time I got the, the feeling that it was almost in reading these articles, in the, particularly, particularly on the Hadel case, or Heidel, Heidel or Hadel, uh, Heidel. Heidel, that um, it was almost as if the defense uh, uh, was being taken to task for giving a defense, and in my view, especially having sat through much of the McMartin trial and so on, and seen, as you were saying before, how the prosecution really controls everything, and especially with the mainstream media, they can control so much, uh, that it, it's, I would be, uh, I, I think, terrible if the defense didn't do everything it could to present uh, a good case for their clients and to force the prosecution to do what it's supposed to do, which is to prove something beyond a reasonable doubt. And it seemed that he was taking the task for doing their duty there, even though I understand that some of the facts or some of the, 
the arguments they brought out may have been absurd, but uh, still, well, defen- not really you know. Absurd. Not really absurd, John. I, I would argue that some of them were, you know, beyond the... First of all, let me stipulate that I agree with you that the defense is supposed to do anything it can, but the journalist's job, I think, is then to come in and sort of clean it up and say, is it really fair to claim that a rape victim is a whore when she's a 16-year-old girl? She's well, a slut, she deserved it, she wanted to be a porn star. And that, I think, deserves some real close examination. In that one case, I don't think it's fair to say all the power was on side, on one side. That's what made that case so fascinating, was that the power was so multinucleated, as our sociologists mm-hmm. might say. It was everywhere. You had uh, Don Heidel, uh, an assistant sheriff worth $100 million, and his kid's life is at stake. Um, I mean, this is huge. No, that's, that's true. That's true. Um, my my view as a journalist in, in covering trials, having been the McMartin thing, uh, the trial for, uh, and what have you, is that I really am kind of loathe to even want to cover a trial in a, uh, in, in certain ways, uh, too much depth uh, while it's going on, because I don't want to uh, influence the the course of the trial, as I believe the media did in the McMartin case, for example, which was admittedly a much more sensationalistic case. But on the other hand, I felt when I was writing about McMartin at the time, in, in my limited way, as far as getting an outlet, w- was that the the bias uh, and the the slant was so hugely in favor of the prosecution. It was such a witch hunt that there needed to be you needed to talk about the details of that in the in the press. Uh, but but there's this issue, you know, if you don't cover the trial, though, then of course uh, anything might happen in that trial and the public wouldn't know. So, I mean, it's kind of, it's difficult to know where to draw the line or what the exact balance is. I think that the advantage of our system, and Jeff, the academic, who can explain this to us, but my sense is, just as the defense's job is to cover the, 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 the is to work the case with his, you know, every option available to them, the journalist's job isn't to worry about whether the trial is going to be uh, adjudicated fairly. Our job is to make sure we do our job. And let the judge and the jury and the everybody else worry about whether the jury is going to be tainted. That's not our job. But what about when the press becomes the jury, the media, the reporters, as they did in McMartin? They they were the judge and jury there, and they and they 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 actually helped create that case. Fortunately, fortunately, that's only a metaphor. I mean, in the McMartin case, it was. I mean, my God, that became horrible. I mean, I think we do in our society. We do have trial by press, trial by jury. Right. And you know, there are examples. I mean, Richard Jewell in Atlanta, the security guard, mm-hmm. was vilified by the press, and he actually won. Uh, you know, a series of libel suits against the press because when the press screwed up on that. So, yes, and, the, and, the, and then we also see um, the other example, which was another big ethics infraction, was that fellow from uh, Thailand who claimed that he killed uh, the oh, Ramsey girl. Ramsey, right. And, you know, mm-hmm. he came and there was a big thing and there was speculation on CNN that, you know, he was really the guilty one and they were interviewing people who actually saw him in Colorado and it turned out that that was, you know... Physically impossible. Physically impossible, and they don't know if he was just, you know, they don't know what his motivations were, but they should have held back on him. And we also have the Duke case, which is even more serious, where um, many of the news institutions and many of the academics, you know, wanted the uh, Duke lacrosse players, you know, uh, you know, they were, they were vilified. They wanted them kicked off campus. Uh, they were treated like they were guilty from the get-go. And then it turned out it was actually a rogue prosecutor. We talked about the prosecutor, you know, having all the cards. And people did, you know, follow the prosecution suit, but then the system, you know, um, reversed itself. You know, when the state attorney general, you know, declared that this man, Neifeld, was a, you know, rogue prosecutor, that there was no substance to the case and dismissed all the charges. Unfortunately, those Duke little cross players, they went through hell. Right, and, and, you know, the mainstream press often is, 
is, is trying the cases all the time in, in, the, in, the, in the press by not being skeptical of, of the, what they're getting from the prosecution. You know? and, 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 so, and I know and the Weekly has, on a, 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 a no small number of occasions, challenged that, and, and that's to their credit. On other occasions, however, uh, in certain cases, they, they've gone the other way, in my view. So, anyways, that's a contrast. My, my sense is that this is all to the good. That, you know, the, the Duke case, for example, the JonBenet Ramsey case, part of that is, you know, that whole 24-hour reporting cycle that you got to have new news and when you got no news new news you just report the story from the last hour and that's the advantage i think of you know we we thought daily journalism was fast and now we've got this weekly journalism can i think afford to be a little bit more thoughtful one would hope and isn't always but then we've got people like john out there criticizing us too and that's why we're the only business i think that's enshrined in the constitution right i mean maybe the gun makers um depending on your perspective but, you know, we're the only ones out there who are protected. And why? Because this kind of free-form debate is what's really critical to our democracy. And not many people are participating in it anymore, and that's a problem that I'm grateful John is helping to address. And, uh, and that I'm trying to address in Long Beach, you know. In eight weeks, we've already made a huge dent in that city's politics. I won't bore you with it, but we just sort of showed up and did what we've been doing at the Weekly, and people were suddenly surprised that someone was reporting and watching and paying attention. So that's our job. And I think part of the Duke case that was interesting for me, Jeff, uh, Jeff was that it seemed to me that the people I liked least, the Fox News guys, with their presumption of the innocence of white men, were right this time. Every, every pig finds an acorn. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you can be right. Exactly. And why, you know, why were the rest of the media not as skeptical um, of power? That's the one time where Fox proved itself you know, skeptical of the powerful. And it was because, I guess, the... Uh, the, uh, the attorney that was a um, was a city attorney, whatever it was, prosecutor. I'm sorry, he's a prosecutor. Was a Democrat. Yeah. Well, on that note, I think we're running out of time. Yeah, thank you very much, all of you. Uh, John Earl from OC Voice, thank uh, you. Orange Coast Voice, which is on the web, Google it. Um, Jeff Brody from uh, Cal State University Fullerton, a communications professor, former Register reporter, and Will Swain, formerly of OC Weekly and now of the District in Long Beach and also you can Google that. Thank you very much for joining this discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, so that was uh, our spirited discussion of reportage in OC, in the OC. Uh, this is Dan Zhang. The opinions expressed on the show were not necessarily those of the regions of the University of California nor the management of KUCI. For an archived edition of this um, show, you can go to KUCI.org org slash tilde d t s a n g uh, shortly. Um, thank you. This is KCI eighty eight point nine FM in Irvine. <laughs>